I think you know the verse, call unto me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Now, if you don't know that verse, I encourage you to learn it. And actually, it's one of the verses in the little Dottie's Healing Verse packet. And on May the 2nd, we sat down in our living room. And, of course, we didn't have the packet. We had what she had put together. And we did that very verse. It's an interesting verse. It's in Psalm chapter 50, verse 15. Call upon the Lord in times of trouble. He will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Actually, there are three parts to that verse. Two of those parts, it's God's job. And one, uh, well, one of those parts is God's job. Two of those parts is our job. Call upon me in the day of trouble. That's our job. God says, I will deliver you. That's his job. And then it says, and you shall glorify me. Now, that's our job. And this morning, that is what my heart wants to do. And what I'm going to do this morning, what I'm going to share, what I'm going to show you in the Bible, I'm doing all of this simply for one reason, and that is to glorify what God has done, not only in our life, but in so many lives. And of course, uh, the first Sunday in November, uh, God willing, Dottie will be here, and in both morning services, she will do what I'm trying to do this morning, and she'll do it in the first person for her, and this morning, I'm doing it in the first person for me, and I want us to understand that before I get into it, because I'm going to share some very personal things, and the things that I'm sharing, God has shown me in what we've been through, may or may not be the things God has shown Dottie and John and Joel, or they will may be. Well, they've shown them things they've not shown me. I just want to share from my heart and from God's Word what I have learned about God in a deeper way and about myself in a deeper way during these past five months. Now, brief background in case you are a visitor this morning or maybe you've been out for a while. On... Thursday, May the 2nd, we learned that Dottie had a large mass on her kidney that was lymphoma. Now, that's what we learned on that Thursday afternoon. And as we got that news and then we began to process what we need to do next, uh, I learned some things and I was about to learn some more things. And so if you take your bulletin this morning and open it up, I'm going to just kind of jump into some of these things that I've learned and take your Bible. And maybe if you'll open it to the book of James is where I'm going to begin this morning. Then we'll turn back a couple of pages in the book of Hebrews. But the fact of the matter is in this little five-month journey, uh, I have learned some things. Time won't let me share everything I have learned, and I'm sure I'm not through learning but I'll share what I have time to share. And I think you can take it, apply it, and I think it can be a blessing to you. And I think, in fact, I know it can glorify God. One of the things that I have learned, and I wish you'd jot this down very quickly, I've learned that in a new way, things can come into your life that you had not expected. John just shared one in the prayer request for little Jake. 
I mean, little Jake was just playing, having a great time with some grandparents, and then shortly thereafter, uh, this problem develops, and certainly the family had not anticipated that. There had been no evidence of anything wrong whatsoever. In your life, you've had things happen that you had not expected. Now, on that Thursday, May the 2nd, before we learned what the situation was, normally all these years, it's never worked 100%, but I've tried always to take Thursday off. Now, I've shifted that for various reasons, but be that as it may, that's just been kind of a day that Dottie and I have scheduled to do things that we needed to do. Now, she needed to have some tests that her urologist wanted her to have. He said, I can't imagine there being a problem. We did these same tests a little less than two years ago, but I think we need to change a medication, and to do that, I really want us to do these tests again. And so... We really, that morning, we got up. The test was going to be at 2 o'clock starting the afternoon, going to be two tests. And she could not eat before the test. So, but now I could eat before the test. So I enjoyed my breakfast, enjoyed my lunch. And a little bit after, maybe close to 1 o'clock, we began our journey to downtown, to Richmond, where the facility was where we were going to go. We'd been there numbers of times over these years. And as we were going down 45 or going toward town, uh, we were talking about things we were going to do after the test. And the, the big agenda thing was where we would be eating dinner. She said, look, I'm going to be hungry and I, we, we need to talk about where we're going to eat after these tests are over. And she named where she wanted to go. Well, I suggested another place that I thought would really be a a good place. Now, I must say her place was a little nicer than the place I had suggested. I was trying to push for my favorite hamburger place in Houston. Uh, If I told you the name, you'd be very disappointed. I mean, it's an old mom and pop place. It's like it used to be. It's like back when, like where Fonzie used to eat, if you go back to those days. Well, Dottie had this other place. No, it wasn't a five-star restaurant, but it was a, and I liked that restaurant, but we kind of couldn't agree on it. Do any of you ever have that problem? Well, Dottie, she's a wise woman. She said, look, I'm the one going through these tests. I feel like I should have a say so in this. I mean, how do you, how do you win against a deal like that? So I ditched the little hamburger joint that I wanted to go. (laughs) I said, that's fine. And then we began to talk about some other things we were going to do after the test. Well, we get to the place and uh, you go to one place to have one test and, you know, you fill out the papers and she went back. That test was a very brief test. Then she comes back out and, and we have to go around to another part of that facility to have test two. Now, test two is a little bit more involved, but again, we had to fill out a little paperwork over there. And It was now getting up close to four o'clock in the afternoon. And actually, when we got to that area, there was nobody else in the waiting room. Uh, The doctor, I saw him, he kind of waved, but uh, he was going to be her last person that day to do a test. And so I'm in the waiting room. I'd taken some materials along to read because I knew that test took uh, about an hour plus. So I'm out in the waiting room and she's back there having this test. Well, in about an hour, this nurse comes out and said to me, "Uh, you need to come back. The doctor needs to talk to you. Well, I knew then things were not what we had thought they'd be, what we had anticipated. 
And so I gather up my stuff and go back. And when I go into this area where the test actually was done, the only two people in the room at this point, the nurse disappeared, was the doctor and Dottie. And they were staring at a screen. And I just sat down on a stool. And, 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 and nobody said anything for a moment or two. And then the doctor said, I am surprised at what we found here. He said, if you look on the screen, I'll show it to you. There's a large mass on one of her kidneys. I think it is lymphoma. But there'll have to be a biopsy to be certain about that. But we need to get her to a doctor, a lymphoma doctor, and find out about this situation. That's on a Thursday. Well, you know... That's the last thing in the world we had anticipated. And like, that was just, there just wasn't much else said at that moment. And I thought about this verse in James. It just came to my mind. I want you to look with me. In James chapter number four, uh, in verse 13, I'm going to show you in a moment what part came to my mind. But in verse 13, the Bible says, Come now, you who say today and tomorrow we will go do such and such in this city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. And then here's the part that just, it just came. It's just like I could just see it going across my mind. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. How true that is for everybody. None of us do. We think we do. We have it all planned out. You know, we, we know things happen, and, but they happen to other people. But the fact of the matter is, that's not the way it works. And so that little verse came to my mind. And as, as, I, as I pondered that, I thought, well, how true that is. But, of course, God knows. Well, let me mention a second thing that I've learned in this little journey that we have been through these past five months. This has been, this has been a very painful part to me, this part. I've learned a deeper understanding about the chastening of the Lord. And I wish you'd feel this in in your bulletin. Because the last thing was on my mind that afternoon, May 2nd, was the chastening of the Lord. But then as we've journeyed through this thing, I've seen how God has used this to teach me, to, uh, to discipline me, and to show me things that I needed to see that truthfully some of which I had not seen as I should have. Now, if you'll turn back in your Bible a page or two, probably, you'll be in the book of Hebrews. And if you'll turn to chapter number 12, which is the classic portion of Scripture about the chastening of the Lord. Uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, in verse number 5, the writer to Hebrews, he's writing to Jewish believers, those who have left Judaism, they've turned to uh, following Christ to, to Christianity, and they're beginning to think about going back to their old ways and old rituals, and he's writing them to encourage them. And in verse 5, he says, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? That's actually a question. And he's going to mention to them, he's going to write to them uh, some Old Testament scripture from Proverbs chapter 3 that they would have been very familiar, but probably they had not thought about applying it to their own life. 
You know, that's so true for most all of us. We know certain scriptures. We, we hear them read. We read them ourselves. But yet, somehow, we, we don't make the next step to apply them to their life. So he's asking them, he said, do, do you not remember this? It says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In other words, you're not really believers, what he's saying. Furthermore, as we have uh, bad human fathers who corrected us, and we pay them respect, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them, but God for our profit, for we, uh, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, verse 11, so important. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That is a classic portion of scripture that I want us to think about in our moments together. Now, this word chastening, it, 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 it's a very, very interesting word, and it's a very, very misunderstood word. Uh, paideia is the Greek word, and it, it is translated into our English Bibles in the English word as chastening, or in other translations as discipline. And either would be a very good translation. The real idea of the word and the understanding of the word, it was used in the day in which it was inspired by God uh, for education and instruction of a child. So the readers, when they saw that word, paideia, they knew what that word meant. It, it referred to the, to the education process and the instruction process of teaching a child. And of course, we're all children. God is our heavenly father. And so it, it, it's this idea, if, if I had to put it in two words, it's like in enforced learning. When you see the word chastening in this context or translated discipline, it, it, it's the idea of enforced learning. Now, here's something very, very important. We misunderstand many times. It, it does not mean that God is paying us back for things we've done or things we have not that we should have. That's not it at all. I want you to put something, your bulletin or whatever, where you are here. But I want you to turn back with me to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 103. What I'm going to show you is worth your having gotten up this morning and gotten dressed and coming to church. Many people really live a defeated life for they do not understand this. And then when things happen that are not good things, they begin to think, well, this is, you know, God's paying me back for what I did. God's dealing with me according to my sins. Now look with me in Psalm 103 in verse number 10. The Bible says, he, that is God, has not dealt with us according to our sins. 
nor punished us according to our iniquities. Now, true it is, there are consequences to sin. We all understand that. But untrue it is that everything that happens in our life is a payback from God because back there we did this or over there we did that. First of all, that is a complete misunderstanding of the nature of God. But there are many sincere people, many sincere Christian people that really struggle at this point. And over these many years being a pastor, I've dealt with that. Bad things will happen to people, and they, they'll come, and they'll share their heart, and they'll say, Pastor, I, I, think, I think what happened is back yonder I did this. Folks, whatever we've done back yonder, if we put it under the blood of Jesus, it's all washed away. Could I have an amen to that? So don't let the devil make you believe that. Now, at the very same time, don't ever think there aren't consequences to sin. But the chastening of the Lord has nothing to do with that. The chastening of the Lord is a teaching tool that God uses to enforce learning. And it's a very interesting thing. If you go back to our scripture in Hebrews, oftentimes it's very, very painful. Look back in verse 11. It says, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Indeed, it can be very, very painful. And in a moment, I'm going to share in a very personal way how for me in some areas it's been very, very painful. But it's been a good thing for me, even though a very painful thing. Now, there are essentially three kinds of chastening. I'm going to, I'm going to name them, and you may want to jot them down. Uh, there's no blank to fill in, but there's space to write. I'll only deal with two of them. The third one would require sermon itself. First of all, there is internal chastening, just internal chastening. And what that means is it is where God uses his word to enforce learning, to teach us, to instruct us, to discipline us. You've read Bible verses before. You've heard Bible verses explained before, and it's just like that verse jumps up off the page and jumps into you and think, man, that's, you need to deal with that. Perhaps in the area of forgiveness, you, you, you struggle with that, and then you read about what the Bible has to say, and then one day somehow the Holy Spirit will apply that to you, and that, that is internal chastened, coming from the Word of God, primarily from His Word, but sometimes a rhema, where the Spirit of God will just speak to your spirit about some area of your life that is not measuring up to what God teaches in His written Word. That is internal chastening. Now, the second kind of chastening is external chastening. You say, well, what is external chastening? That, is, that involves the circumstances of life of which you have no control. You have no control. Things happen. And whether you understand them, don't, explain them, whatever, it doesn't matter. You, you have no control. Many times, those things God will use as a learning tool, as a teaching tool, as a discipline tool to help you get your life 
many times, first of all, to show you your life is not measuring up as Word of God teaches. Now you say, what is the third kind of chastening? Well, I don't have time to go into it, but you can write it down. It's terminal chastening. I need to sometimes just preach a whole sermon on that. that that's a, it has tremendous scripture to go with it, but I deal, I deal not with it this morning. Now listen to me very carefully. During these past five months, God has used internal chastening and external chastening to teach me, to show me things first about him and second about myself that has been very painful. Some of it I would have been very unaware. I'm going to illustrate quickly in a moment. You see, externally, like there's, when we found out what Dottie had, and then, then we had to have a bone marrow, and then we had to have biopsy, like, and we had to have other tests. So there's a lot involved in ever getting to the bottom of the thing. Like, I had no control over any of that, nothing. And as you well know, if it's, if it's your spouse or your child or your loved one and they're going through some tough stuff, you just want to wanna kind of fix it. That's my nature. I'm Mr. Fix-It. But let me tell you, I've been in a deal I couldn't fix at all. And I've learned some things very painful in that about me. And then the Word of God. Now, now let me illustrate what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm talking about from His Word. For example, Proverbs 3. How many times have you heard me? If you ever come to first grade Bible recognition for 29 years, <laughs> those first grades have heard me say, now boys and girls, let me tell you, when I was in the first grade, my pastor in the little country church where I grew up, if you would memorize any Bible verses he told you to memorize, he gave you to memorize, he would give you a Bible. I'm in the first grade. All right. And the way you did it, you just went up to him and said, Pastor, I, I want to get my verses. Well, you really didn't want your verses. You wanted your what? I'm a little first grader. I know you wouldn't believe it, but I was a rascal in the first grade. I was. I didn't grow into this sainthood to later in life. But anyway. <laughs> But I'll never forget, he reached in his pocket, just like I did, pulled out a little card, and he wrote on it, Proverbs 3, colon, 5, day, 7. And he gave me the card and said, now when you memorize that, you come back and you quote me those verses, and I will give you your Bible. Now, you didn't have to stand before the church. You just went to him in his little office or wherever. I took that little card home and told my mother, the pastor wanted me to memorize the entire Old Testament. She said, no, it's just three verses. And I learned them quickly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. I can say them backwards. I've known them. I'm 78. I learned those at seven. I've known them a lot of years. I I'm going to be honest, trust in the Lord with all your heart. If I ask you, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, if you think you trust God with all your heart, all of us would say, I know I do. I would have raised both of mine. Let me tell you something. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. When I saw what Dottie was into, I thought to myself, man, I don't understand this deal. Why her? Why her? And I thought, man, am I trusting God? You know, it's, I realize that I wasn't doing as well with that as I thought it was. And I'm not 100% yet and will not be until the day Jesus comes. I understand that. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, six it says, Be confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work, you will complete on the day of Jesus Christ. So I'm, we'll never all be all we will be until Jesus comes. But we can all be more than we are now. Could I have an amen to that? And at MD Anderson Hospital, one day while she was back there having a test, I'm out in the waiting room. That day, I don't think anybody knew who I even was, big old bunch of, and I just got with the Lord and said, God, I've known these verses since a first grader, but I need to trust you better. I need to trust you with what I don't understand. And then Verses like Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Man, I know the verses. I'm a walking verse. I don't know him as well as John does. He has a photographic memory. When he gets my age, it'll be less photographic. And by the way, he's aging, if you didn't know. He just aged this last week. Don't say any more to me, young John. The guy's 50 years old, Joel. There's our young son over here. Be anxious for nothing. I remember the day we went to MD Anderson when she had a biopsy. All this before the chemo started. And I stayed with her as long as I could. And finally, they take it from you. John was down there with me that day, and we came out in this big old waiting room, and I was just not doing very good. I thought, I don't want John to see me fold up, so I thought, I'll just go in the men's room. I said, John, I got to go to the restroom, so I just walked down and went in the restroom, and I just lost it. Do you understand what that means? I mean, I just lost it. And then the worst thing in the world happened. Some man walks in a restroom. I don't know him from Adam. And I'm in bad shape. Trying to hide from John out there. And the man said, sir, are you okay? And I wanted to say, yeah, you can look at me and tell I'm okay. (laughs) Am I okay? No, I wasn't okay. I was coming apart. And then I thought of that verse, be anxious for nothing. You think that includes like a, like a biopsy? Yeah. Folks, what I'm saying is it's been painful. Like I thought I was farther along with the Lord in my faith than I have found myself. I'm not beating myself up this morning. I'm not saying to you I don't have any faith. I don't trust God. I'm saying this. It's easy to trust God and have faith 
when everything's going great down the highway. Could I have an amen to that? But you go down the highway and have a blowout. And I'm telling you what, you'll learn big time about your faith. We can dress up and come to church and look like St. Mr. and St. Mrs. But I'll tell you what, when you, when you get up against some really stuff out there. And then I'll give you one other verse. I could tell you a bunch of them. But I'll mention one other that God has really used to chasten me, to teach me, to discipline me. You know, when you're going through things and you don't know what's going to happen, I'll never forget that first Thursday night they had her in the hospital. We're in the hospital. John has left by that time. At 10.35 p.m. in, 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 in MDS, we're in a hospital room. Just me and Dottie's in the room. And they're getting her all hooked up. And the nurse comes in. I wrote it in my little prayer book. 10.35, it's 10.35 p.m., not a.m., 10.35 p.m. And a nurse comes in and said, I need to read you what may well be the side effects of this chemo we're about to give you. And she starts reading this list. And I'm sitting in a chair next to the bed where Dottie is. And then the nurse said, but now don't worry. We have stuff that will help with all this. And uh, Dottie had to sign a thing. And they turned that chemo on. And we were in that room. I had all kind of thoughts start going through my mind. And then I thought of that verse. It's in 1 Corinthians. I think it's chapter 10, verse 5. that says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I thought, I'm making an F at the moment. The devil was putting all kind of thoughts in my mind. You ever have that happen? Y'all may by the end of this sermon just dismiss me and say, you're not even fit to be a preacher. Well, you're right on that. None of us are. But I'm telling you, folks, listen to me. Here's how God disciplined me. God really put me to school on this deal. Through all this stuff she's been through, I've had every kind of thought in the world Satan's put in my mind. And that verse is real. God's used that verse. God says, look, I need to train you. I need to enforce some learning on you because the only thing you can control in this whole deal is your thoughts. Have you ever thought about that? The only, you can control your thoughts. There's not much else you can control. But when the devil puts these thoughts in your head that are not obedient to what Jesus Christ teaches that we read about in the Bible, then we're not obeying the verse. And so God, God has used all that to be such a blessing and such a help. And then time, oh my gracious, what does happen to me? At least I'll tell you what it is. To, it won't go into it much, for I must wrap it up. But Another thing that I've really learned so well, I've been taught during this whole thing, I've learned more about the power of prayer. You know, chemo kills lymphoma. Like it's, it just kills it. It, it. Its life is gone. The doctor said, here it is. It's dead. Let me tell you something. There's a power to chemo, but I'm going to tell you what else. There's a power to prayer. There's a power to prayer. We just prayed for that little child. We weren't just going through the motions tonight. We'll pray more. And I'm saying, you, you know it. We all believe it. But, but you, listen, when, you, when you're going through something, 
that's very difficult out there. You feel the power of prayer, and we felt all of your prayers. We felt the prayers of so many beyond here. The power of prayer is absolutely unbelievable. Now, I'll say this on that, move on. The power of God in your life is in direct proportion to your prayer life. So if you just say, you know, I, I know there's got to be more to this Christian life than what I'm experiencing. I've put my finger on it for you this morning. Your prayer life is in direct proportion to the power of God in your life. Now, let me, let me just fast forward. On May the 8th, we learned this thing on May 2nd. That's Thursday. On May 8th, following Wednesday, we are in the examination room at MD Anderson with Dr. Maria Rodriguez, who's the, over the entire lymphoma department of MD Anderson. We were blessed to get an appointment with her. We had never met the lady. And we're in the room. I'm in the room. Dottie's sitting up on the examining table. The boys are standing, one over here, one, and I'm over here in a corner, kind of a chair. And Dr. Rodriguez comes in, introduces himself, goes over all this stuff, shows us the deal, tells us the suggested treatment, said the chemo's the only thing can help you, surgically. We can't do surgery. This is it. And then here's what Dr. Rodriguez said. I'm in my chair listening to this. She said, now, I want to be honest with you. You have two strikes against you. Number one, this mass is huge. It's large. It covers your kidney. Strike two, your age. She said, whether or not your heart and your kidneys at your age can handle this chemo is strike two. She said, we're going to give it to you very slowly on count of that. And I'm sitting there thinking, my gracious, I don't know the most in the world, but in baseball, they're just three strikes. And this lady just struck out two of them. And then a silence came in the room. And I'm over here in this corner, in this chair, in a little bitty room. And my eyes are fixed on Dottie to see how she's dealing with this. And Dr. Rodriguez is standing right in front of her. They're just talking to each other. It's like the rest of us aren't even in the room. And I'm watching the boys a little bit, seeing how they're responding to this. And in a moment or two, Dottie spoke up. And here's what she said. She said, can I say something? And Dr. Rodriguez said, sure. She said, well, first of all, Dr. Rodriguez, I want to say to you, thank you for seeing me. And I appreciate your knowledge and I appreciate your medical ability. She said, number two, I want to say I'm thankful for MD Anderson and what they can do. But she said to Dr. Rodriguez, looking a right eyeball to eyeball, she said, you need to understand something. I am a Christian and my times are in God's hands. And I will do what you say do, but my trust is that God will do what he just chooses to do. I thought to myself, my gracious, you know, it's interesting how Dr. Rodriguez responded to that. When Dottie said, my time's in God's hands, she responded by saying, 
So it is true for all of us. Now, folks, listen to me this morning. All of our times are in God's hands. Could I have an amen to that? You may not be a Christian. You may be, but it matters not. God's still in control. And I believe this morning in a room this size with this many people that some are being chastened, disciplined by the Lord. First of all, from his word or from a rhema, from his spirit to your spirit. Some of you this morning, God is speaking to you about your soul. Hear this. Hopefully it won't be lymphoma. But whatever it will be, it will be. One day, all of our bodies will die. These mortal bodies will not live forever. Now, they just keep replacing part after part. I understand that. But there's a point where they can't do that. But here's what I know. Our souls live forever. And you want your soul to live forever with God in heaven. Could I have an amen to that? And you want to know that. And the good news this morning is you can know that. You can't do anything about your body. It is mortal. It will finally die. The outer man is perishing, but the inner man can be renewed day by day. And this morning, if you've never done so, I want you to bow your head with me right now. And just right this moment, this morning, you may have never thought a thing about it till you came to church this morning, till right now. You say, you know what? It is true. One day, I don't know what it will be, but one day my old earthly body will die. But my soul's coming out of my body, and I want my soul to go to heaven. I'm saying to you this morning, Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross to pay for your sins so that when you leave your earthly body, you can go to your heavenly home and one day have your new resurrected body. You say, Pastor, what do I do? You just say right now, Lord Jesus, it's painful for me to say so, but I am a sinner. I admit that, God. And I need a Savior. I need Jesus. God, I'm, I've tried to live a good life, but I want to be saved. I want to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you right now, God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and make me a Christian. And I trust you, Jesus. Thank you, I'm saved. Maybe this morning you've, you're not sure about that. Well, you can just put a P.S. onto that prayer and say, God, if I've prayed it before, I thank you. But this morning, God, I settle my salvation. I'll worry no more about my soul. My soul is in God's hands, in God's time, and I'm okay. Others of you this morning, maybe God is speaking to you about coming and following the Lord in baptism as we saw earlier. Others, God said, you need to come put your life in this church and let this be where you come to worship the Lord and be fed the word of God and leave to serve the Lord. Tell others about Jesus. So Father, bless these moments of invitation is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.